Hello and welcome to Eureka Nerd. I am Will Davis. More chocolate than any one man can consume. And I'm Leah Richards. So many pairs of socks. That's right. Christmas time is upon us. It is almost the end of the year. So let's take some time to reflect on the year that we have had. Some positive things, personally speaking. Some negative things, globally and politically speaking. Honestly, I don't remember a lot of it. It's kind of been a blur. This has been the year of the fugue state, I feel. A lot of people, myself included, are just looking back on the air going, how was March only nine months ago when October feels like seven years away? And yes, personal highlights, global lowlights. I think that might be what 2018 is remembered for, as well as 2017 and 2016. It's been a rough couple of years, globally speaking. Here's to 2019 being the year of being nice to other people. Unless they're Nazis. Yeah, I feel like we can stand by that. I feel like we could probably put that on the Eureka Nerd Christmas card. Happy Christmas and a Merry New Year to all, except the Nazis. And other assorted fascists. Let's not leave out the fascists who aren't Nazis. Anyway, news. Science news? How's 2018 been for science? Grim. I feel is the best word to describe it. There has been kind of the overarching weight of the IPCC 2018 report that said we have 12 years left to avert total climate catastrophe. That came out a couple of months ago now, and so far, not that much has really been done about anything. But let's not let that cast too much of a dour view on some of the recent news that we've had from across the environmental science world. Here's just the last week or so on Eureka Alert. In case you're wondering just how robust this whole climate change, global environmental catastrophe thing is, because there are still some people in the world who look at the agreement of pretty much every environmental scientist in the world ever and go, nah. Anyway, how about we get right through all these nasty, nasty headlines so we can get to the positive stories before we all decide it's time to die? There are some silver linings on the mounting clouds of the horizon, that's true. But first, yeah, let's get through some of the negatives before we reach the positive. From International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis, climate change and air pollution damaging health and causing millions of premature deaths. From The Lancet, proportion of population vulnerable to heat exposure is rising globally. From Flinders University, a loss of animal or plant species to climate change causes global extinction domino effect. From the European Academy's Science Advisory Council, global food systems are failing humanity and speeding up climate change. From the University of Exeter, climate change could lead to threefold Europe and North America. That's because weather systems are powered by heat. More heat equals bigger, stronger weather systems. Speaking of heat, Stanford School of Earth, Energy and Environmental Sciences say that Regions increasingly suffer hot, dry conditions at the same time. And from the University of Hawaii at Manoa, greenhouse gases triggering more changes than we can handle. Prediction that by the year 2100, the number of hazards occurring concurrently will increase, making it even more difficult to cope. And then also a paper in the Journal of Climate Policy, Urgent Need to Reduce Meat and Dairy Consumption to Meet Climate Targets, say experts. And in work from the University of Plymouth, which really shouldn't come as a surprise, and I appreciate that they are trying to dig the positive spin out of this. 
Increased oil and gas activities could combine with ocean warming and acidification to have significant negative impacts on marine organisms. The research concerned impacts on the larval stages of two key ocean-dwelling invertebrate species, the northern shrimp, Pandalus borealis, and the green sea urchin, Strongylocentrotus drubachiensis. Not only are they tongue twisters, they are both negatively impacted by ocean acidification and ocean warming, resulting in decreased larval growth, while acute exposure to oil also reduced growth, feeding, and activity in larva of both species, which, not a surprise that they are affected by climate change and being dunked in oil. And you might reasonably wonder what the importance to you can possibly be of taking care of the larval stages of some sea urchins and some shrimp, but those sort of organisms form the base level of quite a lot of food chains, including the one that you're at the top of. Several food pyramids point right towards the human being. And when you knock out the base layer of those, it all comes tumbling down. It's the sort of thing one ought to take a holistic approach to. I don't mean doing Reiki at it. I mean, you can. I can't guarantee that actually helps. So, there's your dose of doom and gloom. It's what we're here for. It's super not what we're here for. Doom and gloom was not the mission statement. Then let our mission statement be the sunny side. The rays of sunlight that follow all of these disastrous storms and weather changes. Some good news, some... Just something good from this year, scientifically speaking. Let's go with that. And let's start off with... You might have heard that Chile are doing quite well in meeting their renewable energy targets and are, in fact, a global leader in renewable energy, in moving away from fossil fuel-based economies and in, like, enacting political change based on the world around them. Well done, you guys. In fact, in 2016, Chile was the top-scoring renewable energy producer in the Americas and second only to China in the entire world. You might be asking yourself, well, just how did they do that? Good news, there's a paper in the Policy Studies Journal exactly about that. Now, this paper is behind a paywall, so we've managed to piece together a little bit of information here and there from what's been provided and a little bit of the sneak peeks that we've managed to get. But if you happen to be interested in this, then please do try and get a hold of a copy by asking your local library or local university if you have any friends or colleagues or anyone who knows someone there. Or go to the authors themselves, I'm sure they'd be very happy to share their work with you. And the authors themselves, Aldo Madriaga and Matilda Alain, describe that Contingent coalitions, or collective actors with conflicting but partly overlapping agendas and interests, have been a key force in driving political and economic change in Chile based around renewable energy sources. Basically, cooperate with people who have even a bit of a shared goal and put pressure on the people who have the power to make decisions for you. This message goes out to... Most politicians in England, right now, there's a lot of you who agree on certain things about the environment and science and the other political things that are happening, and if you stop the bickering, maybe you can save the country. Cooperate. Send those guys down. Sink their terrible, terrible ideas. And just drop into the North Sea. A quick quote from the author. Two decades ago. Chile's electricity market was concentrated in three companies, representing more than 90% of electricity generation, 
an important part of electricity transmission and distribution. Investments were heavily concentrated on environmentally and socially sensitive energy sources, with about 60% going to large hydropower and 40% to fossil fuels. In addition, Chile's policy-making process was known for its bias towards status quo preservation, not to mention strong business power-blocking attempts at significant policy transformations. All of which sounds like a pretty steep hill to climb, but contingent coalitions, these people with generally the same interest of saving the country and having a renewable source of energy and an effective source of economic power that doesn't rely on setting fire to dinosaur juice managed to change the conversation on local levels, on the local political scene, on the national economic front. So yeah, collective power. It works. Save the world. Now Chile is placed to lean into renewable fuels because they've got a lot of coasts, they've got a lot of hills, they've got a lot of weather happening to them. Some of that weather's not pleasant to be in, which does work for wind and water power, but what about solar power? I've seen maps where a really quite a small proportion of the Sahara Desert is marked out as the amount we would need to power the whole of Earth's energy needs. Which is pretty good going, really. Some of those graphs are probably quite old, comparatively speaking. And in a new paper from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, they explain just how the price of solar power continues to fall, making it a really tempting option to save the world. And one of the things that got them interested in this in the first place is that the cost of a solar photovoltaic module has fallen by 99% over the last 40 years. That's a big old drop, guys. That's basically free. That's just free money at that point. If I were to offer anything to anyone, anywhere, at any time, and say it's 99% off, th then you should buy 100, because that's 100 for the price of one. But how is it that the costs have dropped this much? The researchers asked. They in fact sort the causes into two broad categories of low-level factors and high-level, the low-level being things which you can reasonably expect to make technology cheaper, like the manufacturing process getting better. Just the technology going into any one photovoltaic cell means more energy out for the money in. High-level mechanisms include things like improved production processes, cutting the number of defective cells produced, and economies of scale made possible by having larger factories. And going back to before 1980, which is when the dataset for this comparison begins, research and development was the dominant cost-reducing high-level mechanism, through improvements to the devices themselves and to manufacturing methods. However, now, everything is getting so much cheaper to produce and to produce more of, all it needs is the political will to make it happen, and wouldn't you know, policies that stimulated market growth account for 60% of overall cost decline. You spend a little bit of money incentivize a few people to invest in renewable energy, to save the world, and you can do it. 99% less cost than it was 40 years ago. And let's leave that one with a quote from MIT Associate Professor Jessica Tronchik. For a long time there's been a debate about whether these policies work. Were they really driving technological improvement? Now we can not only answer that question, we can say by how much. Save the world. Now if you're thinking, wow, 
this has all been quite a lot. This has been some heavy going. Gosh, what a world. What a terrible, terrible world we have made for ourselves and for our children. Well, I've got one word for you. Boobs. In fact, let's just go through the ten words which this study by the University of Alberta has determined are the funniest words in the English language based on features of their form and their semantics. Upchuck. Bubby. Boff. Wriggly. Yaps. Giggle. Cooch. Guffaw. Puffball. Jiggly. What makes them funny? Well, it's one of those things where humour is very personal. You don't want to dissect a joke because, much like a frog, it dies. But when it comes to the words themselves, finding things that are universally funny. Well, you mentioned form and semantics. The authors explain here that form predictors have nothing at all to do with the meaning of the word, but rather the length, letter, and sound probability. Something nice and bubbly and with a few oohs and ums and like a, a nice mouth sound, a good mouth feel to it. Like boob and boff and cooch and puff. Ball. And on the other hand, the semantic predictors measure how related each word is to different emotions and six categories of funny words. Sex, bodily functions, insults, swear words, partying, and animals. Chris Westbury, professor in the Department of Psychology in the Faculty of Science, explains, It turns out the best predictor of funniness is not distance from one of those six categories, but rather average distance from all six categories. This makes sense. Lots of words people find funny fall in more than one category. Like, boobs regard both sex and bodily functions. Also, they're squishy. I'd argue they can be extended to partying. Yeah, yeah, multiple sets of boobs can definitely be a party. And probably insults. I do know some people in my life who have been utter boobs. I think that's being very uncharitable to actual boobs. Be nice to the breasts in your life. And they extend to animals, because you get blue-footed boobies too. Yeah, yeah, well, and other boobies. There's several sorts of booby. I locked my computer at work the other day, and the screensaver image that came up was a small flock of boobies. And I went, ooh, boobies! And everyone in the office turned around. I mean, it's Bristol, so that could have just been happening out of the window anyway. Oh, no, no, I don't, I don't work on Stokescroft anymore. It's not, <laughs> it's not quite so likely. But not impossible. We had a very intense opener, and we've had a very steady closer, so I think we might wrap this one up a little bit quicker than usual, because we've got some Christmas to get to. Presents to wrap, trees to set up, families to avoid and then be very close to, and then go back to avoiding for a while. Have an enjoyable midwinter, and we'll see you again in the new year. So if you want a Christmas card from us, then do let us know by sending us a message on Twitter, at Eureka Nerdcast, or maybe send us an email as well with what you want from Santa at Eureka Nerdcast at gmail.com. And if you really want to wish us a happy Christmas, you can support us on Kofi. That would really jingle my bells. Your bells don't need help with being jingled. I don't know what you mean by that, so I'm going to take it as flattery. So that's a Merry Christmas from us, and a Happy New Year as well. We'll see you in 2019. Until then, that's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.